Well, we're going to turn our attention to uh, God's Word this morning, and um, uh, as we do, I just wanted to kind of share a little bit more about one of the kind of outcomes of the um, the trip. I, I shared that we were traveling around, seeing some family. One of the things that um, I did on kind of the study break was I uh, got an opportunity to um, teach to some students at a um, uh, summer camp uh, through a church. My uh, brother-in-law is a pastor out in Boise, Idaho, and so uh, we were kind of up in the mountains um, for a week and, and got to put on my old youth pastor hat and hang out with a bunch of middle school and high school students. And so um, I was teaching to about 120 or so um, uh, kind of 11-year-old through 18-year-old, and um, those are like two different animals. Like an 11-year-old and 18-year-old are like very, uh, very different. And so um, it was, uh, but it was fun, and God, God certainly worked. I just want to encourage you. Um, got a chance to uh, teach through the whole of over the course of a week the entire kind of story of, of Joseph's life, and and just looking at some of the um, some of the warnings and some of the encouragements from his life, and and just really saw students respond and um, saw several decisions for Christ, first-time decisions for Christ, and so so encouraging by that, seeing um, young men, young women um, uh, just make that step, make the decision at a critical and crucial time of their life and, and choose to follow after Christ. And, and so that was such an encouragement. And then also just seeing many decisions, um, kind of redecisions for, for the Lord and things that they want to grow in and things that they want to change in. And, and one of the outcomes for that, I think, for, for us is I was just reinvigorated, re-encouraged re, um, um, just about you know what, what God wants to do here. And um, I'd love to see uh, our student ministry continue to develop and grow. And we've got a great foundation that we're building from, but um, you know, it's been something, one of the things that we've been uh, just praying about. And so this coming year, and, and, um, and, and it's one of the things that we're, um, we're going to actively kind of be working on. And it's, that church has been around for a while. It's a super developed uh, ministry, but just seeing the way and the impact that uh, God was having on on, um, on these teens' life and uh, their hearts and, and, um, and, and just seeing their tenderness toward the Lord was just such an encouragement. And so I so was really thankful for that opportunity and the chance to, to see that and trust and, and, and look forward to the day when, um, yeah, we have more and more of that happening um, here. And um, well, we want to continue in our study uh, this morning. We're going to continue on in Hebrews. I'm super thankful for some of the um, uh, preachers who jumped in and, and filled in over the last uh, several weeks. Uh, Pastor AJ was here and taught a message from, uh, from the Psalms a few weeks ago. In the last two weeks, we had our very own um, Josh and Jeff. Um, opening up God's word and continuing on through Hebrews. So we find ourselves in uh, the chapter um, 12 this morning. So if you have a copy of scripture, um, uh, I'd encourage you to grab that and pull that out and open up to uh, Hebrews chapter 12. If you don't have one with you and you want to hold it in your lap, I think that's always a great thing to do. Um, you can find a, a, a Bible underneath one of the seats in front of you. If you don't own one, you're welcome to take that home and, and um, that's our, our gift to you. Um, but love for you to see what we're looking at this morning. And I'd love to kind of set it up this way, um, you know, uh, I'm sure you kind of experienced this growing up. Um, we certainly uh, are, are doing this as parents, but I think every parent, as they um, feed their children, desire for there to be like kind of a balanced nutrition, balanced meal sort of, you know, happening. And um, I'm, I'm guessing it's not just all kind of um, the sweets or all sort of the kind of rich foods or that sort of thing. Um, hopefully, and, and this is kind of intentional in our house, that we try and have some vegetables regularly on the plate. 
okay, right? Like that's, that's a good thing. Some of you um, never really quite got that. I've been with some adults and they're like, yeah, I don't do vegetables. And you're like, what? Like, <laughs> let me talk to your mom. Like, yeah, I bet you she wants, she like wishes some things were different about that. But, you know, uh, we try and, you know, we put on our, our kid's plate, you know, there's usually some sort of meat or protein or something. You know, we've got some sort of starch to kind of fill them up. So there's like a, a you know, like rice or potatoes or something. And then, um, and then we'll have like some vegetables. And, um, you know, some of my kids love vegetables more than others. Um, uh, uh, we have a few that are weird, and they actually do love vegetables, and it's like, that's great. That's going to go well for you. But if we're honest, I think most of us, there's like some vegetables that we know are good for us, but we don't really want to eat. And as an adult, sometimes that's what I see. Like, you know, and my kids, if they had the choice, they would, uh, there's certain foods that they would eat, and then they'd leave other things on their plate. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really want, want that, right? But then comes the question, like, what are we having for dessert? And it's like, well, you didn't really finish everything on your plate. I don't know if you uh, if dessert is kind of uh, in order here, and um, or they'll try and ask for like seconds on on something. It's like, well, you should probably eat those that you know that broccoli first before you kind of go back for more. If you're still hungry, broccoli would be a good thing for you to fill up on. Um, you know, not more of the uh, rolls or whatever it might be. You know, so um, we all get that. Uh, but here's why I bring that up now, or why I uh, say all that now, is I think sometimes we approach the Word of God in sort of a similar way. Uh, there's things on our plate, there's things that God has provided for us in His Word that we enjoy, that we um, that taste good, right? That we uh, we like eating, and we're excited when we come to these uh, passages or different things. Then there's other things on our plate that I think are more likened or kind of more similar to like Brussels sprouts or asparagus or spinach or something like that. You know, where there's nutrition value, but there's the taste and kind of like what it is. Like we know it's good for us, but if we were honest, we really don't want to, to eat it. And that's one of the reasons that we like to walk through large passages of scripture, often books, whole books. Like we're walking through the entire book of Hebrews this summer. And one of the reasons that we do that is because it, it, it kind of um, forces us or kind of encourages us to come to passages that we may not want to necessarily eat, but are really good for us. And that's kind of what one of the passages is that we're looking at this morning. We're in Hebrews 12. We're going to look all the way through verse 17. A lot of verses this morning, um, but we're going, to, we're going to be eating some food that maybe for us, some of us is like, man, this isn't like my favorite. Like, I don't, I don't love this. But the reality is this, is that this is good for us. Like, we need this um, and part of our diet too. Like, our spiritual diet is, is deficient if we don't have this in it. So just like, um, you know, just like <laughs> seeking to have kind of that balanced diet, we want to approach God's word with this willingness to, to take and receive what God has uh, for us this morning. I will tell you at the outset, though, um, we're not only like taking a little nibble of Brussels sprouts this morning, like we, it's a pretty big passage. Like when we laid this out, I was studying this week and I was like, oh man, we could have had three sermons this morning. So I'm not preaching all three sermons, okay? It is just one sermon, but it could have been. And so it's like we're eating like five Brussels sprouts at a time, okay? Okay, so um, if some of you remember that, that game that like, you'd like, put like, marshmallows in your mouth and you try and say the words like pudgy bunny, we're doing that with Brussels sprouts this morning. Like, we're trying to like, we're gonna fill up and we're gonna, we're gonna do our best to, uh, to do it, but I think God has something for us uh, this morning. So um, before we go any further, let me just pray that God would uh, teach us, that we bless our study of his word uh, this morning. Our God, we come before you and we're grateful for the things that you have said, the things that you have directed us to in your word. And Lord, we know that every, every word, every page, um, God, every paragraph here is, uh, is for us and for our, our good, Lord, that you want to edify us through it. And so, God, I just pray that you would um, just lead us this morning, um, that we would have ears to hear 
and hearts to receive the truth that you have for us uh, in your uh, word this morning. And so, God, we, uh, we just respond to you. We come to you uh, this morning, and uh, God, ask that you would teach us now as we um, seek to uh, understand and study um, uh, the word that we have before us. And so, God, would you bless that, we pray, in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 1. The title of the sermon this morning is Founder and Perfecter. This is the title that is going to be given to Jesus. We've been talking about how Jesus is better, but we're going to see the way that Jesus is actively at work in our faith this morning. Let's read the first few verses together, and then we'll walk our way through it as we uh, often do. Um, It says this in verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also cling, or let us also, sorry, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Uh, here's the thing this morning is I, I think if you are following Jesus, if you seek to follow Jesus, one of the things is you're going to find is that um, faith is a journey. It's something that is growing and constantly uh, being worked on and matured. And, and, and the word that we see here is, again, Jesus is referred to as the founder and perfecter of our faith. So what we want to talk about, what we're going to see in the passage this morning, if I could kind of frame it all this way, is what does it look like to have our faith perfected by Jesus? And there's a few ways that that happens. The first way, and what we see in these verses right here, is our faith is perfected when we run the race that is set before us. As we run the race that is set before us, Jesus is actively perfecting our faith. And we see what this running the race looks like um, right here at the the beginning of this passage. The idea here, the picture, is is exactly what you hear in the the words run. Like some of you, you hear the words run and and that like makes you so excited and you you, you love and look forward to running and and, uh, the rest of um, uh, those here in the room will look at you and think that you're totally weird, right? Because like you, it's kind of like there's not people on the fence about running. You either kind of, you know, really enjoy it, love it, or you um, kind of despise it, hate it. And um, I, I am one of those weird people. I actually do like to run. I don't run as much as I used to, but I used to run competitively. And so um, I've shared some stories about that before, but uh, my ears always kind of perk up when I hear a running example because it's just so easy for me to picture. I spent years of my life like running way more than any of you would ever want to do. And that was just what I would, would do. But the idea here is that there's a race. That's the picture that's been given here of the Christian life. To follow Jesus is like a race. And so if we're going to run this race, if our faith is going to be perfected, then we need to be actively running in this race. And there's some components, some parts of it. What does it look like to run? The key word that's said here, there's a lot of kind of action words, but it's all centered around this word right here at the end of uh, verse one. It says, let us run. So what does it look like to let us run? Well, the first thing that we have to understand is that we are called to run. We're running the race that has been set before you. I think that's just a helpful distinction to understand, especially in light of the topic that we're talking about this morning. Because what we're talking about is what happens when challenging, difficult, even painful things happen. And the reality is, is that the race that we run is not always the most fun, right? It's not the course that we would choose. But if you've ever run in any sort of like predetermined race, 
You don't get to set your course or kind of choose your own course. Because my guess is if, if you're like kind of well, one of the things that we used to do as a cross-country team, I ran cross-country, they would mark out the trail, um, the course that you would run with flags and, and the different colors meant, you know, the way that you would kind of turn or go around it and they'd paint little lines and kind of direct you through things. But, but I didn't get the opportunity of kind of walking the course before the race and then I'd come to a hill and be like, you know what, I don't know that I want to do this hill. I want to kind of run more on that flat spot. You know, so instead of going up here and around there and over in that tricky spot, I'm just going to kind of do a couple laps here and then pick up the trail over there, right? Like, that's, that's absurd. Like, you would never run a race that way. That you would be disqualified. You're not running the course that is actually um, set before you. Yet, what, what is being said here is it says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The idea here is that all of us, all of us have a course, have a race that's been put in front of us by our creator, our maker, our loving heavenly father has set before each of us a race that he intends for us to run. And the encouraging part about that is we didn't get to pick the course, he did. And if we're honest, there's parts of it that I think we would love to just kind of get on that golf cart and kind of like, you know, drive around or skip or something but there's some challenging places or parts that we, we, we encounter. But here's the other thing about the race that's set before us is that race is custom tailored. It's, it's specific to you. Like God's not asking you to run my race. And God hasn't asked me to run your race. He has put before you the race that he intends for you to run. And so if we're going to run, we have to understand that there is a course, there is a race that God has put in his providence, in his, his direction, his sovereignty. He has laid out before us a course that he intends for us to run, and he intends for us to run it with discipline. So if we're going to run, the first thing we have to do is we have to run the race that's set before us. The second thing is we have to remember the examples that have come before us. The verse begins, it says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. This is in light of the passage that Pastor Jeff preached on last week, right? We saw all these men and women that by faith lived out their belief, their trust in Jesus. And so they would fall into this category, this, this place of, of the cloud of witnesses. And the idea about the cloud of witnesses, I think, has a couple of nuances. One of it is like spectators, which I think, depending on who's in the crowd, changes the way that you play the game. I'm not great at basketball, so I don't find myself in a ton of pickup basketball games. If I was better, I would probably try and find those out, but I try and avoid those because that's not, that doesn't usually go well for me. I'm a better runner than a basketball player, okay? So, I, but if I were playing basketball and say, like, you know, Michael Jordan just kind of strolls up to the sideline and starts watching, I don't care, you know, I, I do follow enough basketball that I have my decisions on who's the greatest and... It's MJ, okay? Like that's like so the greatest that's ever played the game walks up to the edge of the, the court and he starts watching me. I'm not that great, but I, you gotta believe that I'm gonna try like my hardest, which isn't like much more, but but I'm gonna do my best, okay? Like if he's watching, it's like it changes some things. And the idea here is that we have all of these men and women that have gone before us and they have faithfully lived out the call on their life. They have sought to glorify and to honor and, and live, in that, live out their faith for the Lord, that they have gone before us. But not only that, that they're not just like kind of observing or sort of witnessing what we're doing, but it's also their examples to us. Like the way that they lived is an example for us and to how we are to live. And so if we're going to run, then we, we have some people that we can look at. 
And it's not just people in the word um, that, that are in scripture, but there are, there are some heroes of the faith that we know their stories. They've been recorded for us to be encouraged by. And not only that, some of us, we have, we have pastors, we have family members, we have parents, we have grandparents, we have um, people in our churches that we've maybe known, and, and, and maybe there's people you can think of that have been for you an example. They would fit in that category for you. They've been in part of that, that cloud of, of witnesses to your life. And that should be an encouragement to us, the idea that these men and women have gone before us and that we want to live out and follow their examples and, and, and take encouragement from them. That's part of the race. It's meant to be, like it's not, there's like kind of this, this, this sort of, not just spectators, but also examples given to us in that. But then we come to um, something that is crucial, critical, if we're gonna run well. We need to set aside the things that would inhibit us. And there's two things that are mentioned here. Did you see it? It says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin. Two different things. I want to look at the sin first. It says that we are to lay aside every sin which clings so closely. Again, the picture is that you're running a race, and what do you do before a race? Well, whenever I would race, I would warm up. I would kind of walk the course, run the course, and I would wear like a couple of layers. I'd have you know, some sweatpants. I'd have you know, probably a second pair of pants, like especially if it's chilly. I'm trying to get my body warm, and so I'm, I'm wearing a sweatshirt or a jacket. I've got a hat. I've got gloves. I've got everything, and I've got my training shoes and all that, and so I'd get all kind of warmed up, but right before the race, like minutes before, I would change my shoes into spikes because they're way lighter, way quicker, way more agile, and then I would strip off all of the extra clothes that I had, right? I'd have my race gear, and that was like these little tiny little shorts and this little tiny shirt, right? And it's, the idea is that you, it's the least amount of weight that I could possibly have so that I have nothing that's holding me back, nothing that's inhibiting me from running. And that's exactly the picture that is being brought here for us, is that, listen, if our faith is gonna be perfected as we run the race that's set before us, that we need to set aside some things that are going to slow us down, that are going to hold us back. And one of those things is sin in our life. Sin is anything, any action, any, any failure to respond to the, the, the law, the decree that God has set before us. God in his holiness has given us commands. He's given us uh, calls. He's, he's also prohibited some things for us. And, and when we choose to do those things, that is what Scripture calls sin. And some of us, we have some things in our life that we know are weighing us down. There's some sinful choices, some sinful habits, some, 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 some propensity that we have towards sinful actions. And what he's saying here is that we need to, if we're going to run well, we can't run with all that baggy clothes on. It's going to slow us down. It's going to keep us, going to trip us up. If we're going to run, we have to run uninhibited. And so the thing that we have to set aside is we have to set aside any sin which clings so closely to us. And listen, without belaboring this or kind of making this super dramatic, I just wonder, I'm going to allow the conviction of the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do. God is so good at convicting us where we need to be convicted. For some of us in this room, we know exactly the sin that is clinging closely right now. You see, the Spirit, when he convicts, is very specific and very directional. And what he's trying to do is he's for our own good. He's trying to point out some things that we need to set aside. And for some of us, if we're honest, there's some choices that we've been making. There's some habits that we've fallen into. There's some, some inconsistency in our life from what we say we believe about God and what he's called us to do and then the pattern of our life and the choices that we're making. They don't line up. And listen, church, if that's you, 
It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. It doesn't matter you know, what your background is, that God has called you to follow his way and his plan. And if we're choosing other things, that that's gonna trip us up. It's gonna keep us from running the race that he set before us. And so I believe by faith that God's gonna even do some things, just even now, we're partway through the sermon, that God could convict and he could change and bring about some change and transformation in your heart even now this morning. That this might be the catalyst to make the decision to set aside the thing that's been holding on. But here's the thing, is that's not a one-time decision. What I've found in my life is that as God deals with sin in my life, as I set it aside, I find that my sinful heart, right, seeks out new sin. Or now all of a sudden I'm like prideful about not having that sin anymore, so now I've got that to work on. <laughs> right? Like that's what my heart does. My heart kind of seeks that stuff out. It sniffs it out. It doesn't, doesn't take very long for me to find a new thing. So this is a lifelong thing that happens. Here's a question. Here's a little litmus test. When's the last time that you repented of a sin in your life? See, I think we should be repenting probably a lot more than we often are. And it's not that we don't have sin. I just don't know that we're paying attention to the sin that, that weighs us down. What I'm trying to do this morning in love, I'm trying to help shine a spotlight. I think the Spirit wants to shine a little light into the corners and crevices of our life and try and say, no, no, that's the thing that I'm working on for you. So in the quietness of the room, you could even ask right now, God, what is it? What is the sin that's so closely clinging today that would trip me up or that you're trying to say? And then my next question is, is if he shines that light somewhere, the next question is, is what are you gonna do about it? What does it look like to lay it aside? Some of you need to walk away from some things. You need to, to put some, some accountability and some help in your life. Some of you need to um, you know, maybe change or transform a relationship. Some of you need to um, you know exactly what you need to do. What does it look like to lay that weight aside, that sin aside? God wants to deal with the sin that's in our life, and he does so in a loving but stern, convicting way. It's gonna trip us up. But not just sin. Notice there was two things that were said. Let's go back to that other one. It says, let us lay aside every weight and sin. What are weights? Why, why, what's the distinguishing, uh, distinguishing bef- between those two things? Well, weights would be things that aren't necessarily sin, but they can trip us up too. I've said it this way before. Like sometimes good things become ultimate things in our life. And that's what can really trip us up. And so I just wondered this morning, are there some things that you would say, yeah, there's not sin, but that's a weight in my life. Let me give you some examples. I think sometimes family, the family relationships, the family dynamics, whether that's your kids, whether that's your, your parents, whether that's siblings, whatever it might be, that might be taking up more space, more attention, more time than God intends in your life, and that can actually be an inhibiting factor for you running the race that God has for you, that it's actually taking you away from him rather than pushing you closer to him. Are there some family relationships or other relationships? Are there friendships? Are there, are there working relationships? Not a bad thing, but there are weights in your life. What about hobbies? What do hobbies look like? I don't care if it's golf or quilting or you know, biking or like we got all the CrossFit games going on. So CrossFit, man, those guys are like all about that. Like, you know, is, it, like, is there a hobby? Is, there, is, is even like physical fitness is great, right? We should steward our bodies well. We should, you know, exercise and use our bodies, right? That's a good thing for vitality, for, for you know, being able to serve the Lord better, for being able to be around for our family or for you know, be able to, to do some things. Like that's a good thing, but that can be consuming. Hobbies can take over our life. 
and can become consuming in that. We spend our time, we spend our money, we spend our attention, our emotional energy thinking about some of these things. Forms of entertainment, you know, the music we listen to, the things that we watch, the things that we stream, the, the shows or different things that we go to, like that can be consuming. See, those are not bad things. They're not sinful in themselves, but they can be weights. And what it does is it drags us down, it can trip us up, and it, helps, it doesn't help us to run the race that God has called us for. So I wonder, is there some things that you need to set aside this morning to run in the way that God is calling you to? In all of this, though, we're, we're not doing it on our own. What are we doing? The last thing, we're looking to Jesus. Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He is the one who is actively working, encouraging, correcting, guiding us. And what did he do? Well, he went to the cross for us. It says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, and now he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, and he's advocating on our behalf. We've talked all about that throughout this book of Hebrews. Listen, as you're trying to run the race, don't forget what's the prize. The prize is not trying to do something that brings glory and honor to Jesus. The prize is Jesus. Like That's why we're running. We're running to Jesus. And so you want to look to Jesus because he's the founder and perfecter of our faith. And so keep your eyes on him. Keep your eyes fixed. You need to know where you're running to. You're not just running aimlessly. You're running to Jesus. And so if you keep your eyes fixed on him and you're running towards him, then you're going to end up where you want to go. So part of our faith being perfected is that we would run the race, run the course that is set before us. Let's continue on. Let me read the text. Um, it says, verse three, he says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Remember, uh, this is a letter written to or a sermon that was preached to discouraged believers, discouraged um, uh, Jewish believers probably living in or near Rome and they were, some of them were giving up or walking away from their faith. And so he says, listen, consider him who endured from sinners this hostility so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. He's trying to encourage them. And then he says, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood. He's like, it's been bad, but you haven't shed blood yet. Verse five, you have forgotten, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And here he quotes Proverbs chapter three, which says this, my son, do not regard, dis or regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So here we come to the, this is like the Brussels sprouts part. We're talking about the discipline of the Lord. It goes on and says in verse seven, it is for the discipline that you have to endure. Said another way, some of what you're experiencing, church, some of what you're experiencing, people of God, is God's discipline in your life. He's trying to teach you some things, like a loving father. What does it say? It says, God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline, right? Any good parent, any good mom or dad disciplines their child. He says, if you are left without discipline in which you have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. It's like you wouldn't be part of the family. If you are in Christ, then you have been adopted into the family of God. He is treating you as a son and daughter. And so verse nine, it says, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them, right? Hopefully you grew up in a home that had some discipline in it. When you're a kid, you don't necessarily want that. Right? I, think, I think, you know, I used to look at some of my friends that didn't have curfews, didn't have rules, 
You know, they were kind of the cool parents. Then I become a parent myself, and I'm like, oh, those were bad parents, right? Like all the cool parents were actually bad parents because they weren't disciplining their kids. And like, I remember this. I remember sometimes there was like some of my friends that would look at some of the rules that I had, and they were actually jealous of it because they felt like their parents didn't really care that much. Like, well, my mom and dad doesn't really care. Like, I don't, they don't care what time I get home. They don't care where I sleep. They don't care like where I go or what I'm doing, you know, who I'm with. They don't ever ask about that. And they thought, they were actually thought that, that I had it better because my parents had a curfew and had some, like every time I was out, like, who are you going with? What are you doing? Where are you going? Like, you know, they were asking. Why did they want that? Because they recognized that a loving parent disciplines their kids. And so we've all experienced discipline. Hopefully you were disciplined when you were younger and you're a result of the discipline that you received. And so it says, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. How much more? Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? Like isn't God as our earthly or our heavenly father? Isn't he gonna discipline us? Isn't this good for us? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best. Isn't that true? Right? Any parent knows this isn't like a, we're not gonna kind of go too deep in this, but, but parents, you should discipline your kids. But here's the encouragement I think of God's word, not just here, but other places, that you should discipline them when they're young. There's lessons you can teach when they're two, when they're three, when they're five, that you can't teach when they're 15 or 18 or 25, right? Am I speaking truth, parents? Yeah. <laughs> I'm hearing some, like, some sighs. I'm seeing some nodding heads, right? Like You need to teach those things when they're young. And that's what it says. It says we disciplined we disciplined them. They disciplined us for a short time as seemed best. So you have just a few years and as it seemed best. You know, parents, we try and do the best we can. I haven't always gotten it right. I try to respond, um, not react. Right? I don't always do that well. I try and not carry anything else into the situation other than what my child has done. But sometimes if I'm honest, I'm a little frustrated at some other situations or what's happened you know, during the day or other things. And unfortunately, my, my, my discipline isn't always what it should be um, because of that. Some of us have experienced that from a parent. See, they did what would seem best, but God's not like that. He's disciplining us for our entire life. This is a lifelong thing. He's always disciplining his kids. And not just as it seems best, but he's disciplining us perfectly. That's the contrast here. It's like we have earthly parents who discipline us improperly, and yet it was used to bring us about and kind of change some things in us. How much more is God, who's perfectly disciplining us for our life, how much more is that having uh, fruit? But look what it's doing. What's the result of the discipline? Verse 10, it says, he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness this is the outcome of his discipline. And the reality is it doesn't, it's not fun to walk through the discipline of the Lord. Verse 11 says that. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When we receive the discipline of the Lord, that is when our faith is perfected. That's the second thing. We don't just run. We, our faith is perfected as we run the race that is set before us, but the second thing is that our faith is perfected when we receive that's kind of what's, that's that, what that word is getting at there, verse 11. For those who have been trained by it, we've been trained by it when we receive it from the Lord, when we receive the discipline. And I think this is a confusing point for us. Some of us have a really hard time with this. That's why I called it kind of the Brussels sprouts part. Because the reality is, is we walk through difficult times, and one of the questions is, why am I walking through this? What does this mean for my life? 
And we have to be careful that we don't assign everything to discipline, but we also have to be careful that we, don't, we, we, that we think nothing is discipline. There are several reasons why we walk through difficult things in our life. Some of the things that you walk through are just the circumstances of a fallen world, right? Like, like the disciples, they saw the guy that was blind, they asked Jesus, hey, was that his sin or was it his parents' sin? They're like, it's no one's, it's just broken world. Like some of the circumstances that you and I encounter are the brokenness of the world, circumstances. Some of the other trials or difficulties that we encounter are um, not circumstances, they're consequences. Like some of you are in financial difficulty right now. And if you're honest, it's because there was some years or some time where you were spending beyond your means and you were racking up some debt and now you're kind of paying the consequence of that choices. There's lots of other choices that we make. Right, like I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm. I just got back from vacation. I got on that scale. I'm 40 now, okay. So like, I get on that scale and I'm like, whoa! Like I used to go on vacation, nothing happened. I eat for three weeks and don't really do anything, and I'm like, get on that scale. I'm like, oh my goodness! Like I just come consequences from like eating vacation food for three weeks and not doing uh, a whole lot, okay? Like there's consequences for the things that we do. But what this is, this is different than that. It's not circumstances, it's not consequences. What God is saying is he's using, and maybe it is consequences and circumstances, but God is using it as discipline. God is saying to the Hebrew people, the difficulty that you are walking, with, walking through is the discipline of a loving father in your life right now. Discipline are painful, hard circumstances that we walk with through that God uses to shape and to change us, to perfect us. And so God teaches things through difficult circumstances. More than that, here's the thing that I think we have a really hard time with. God chooses, he uses the sinful choices of men and women to work and refine our hearts. Where do I get that? Look at that in verse three. It says, consider him who from sinners, he endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Jesus himself, like the result of the cross was the result of sinful choices by men and women that God used for good. God can use the sinful choices of your coworkers, of your family members, of your friends, and the pain that's being inflicted on you to discipline you as a loving father does. What does he discipline us for? Well, he's trying to grow us. Like we could make a whole list of things. But here's the thing. How do we receive? What does it look like? Let me just give you a picture. What does it look like to receive the discipline of the Lord? I think there's kind of two parts of it. I think you have to begin by admitting that you need the discipline of the Lord, and then you submit to it. You admit, and then you submit. What do I mean by admit? Well, you know, I could make, there's, I don't have an exhaustive list, but some of us, maybe we wrestle with unforgiveness in our hearts. And God wants to discipline you so that he can bring you to the place of, of forgiveness. He wants healing for you in that. And so he's gonna bring you through some difficult circumstances. He's gonna use the unpleasant, painful times to like bring you to the place that, man, maybe I need to forgive. Well, the first step is admitting that there's unforgiveness in your heart. Then you submit to it and you receive it and respond to it by going to the place that God is leading you to. Some of us, it's not unforgiveness, maybe it's pride. There's pride in our hearts, and we have to admit that we think about ourselves as higher than we should. And so in the discipline of the Lord, we receive, we, we admit that we need to hear and be grown in the pride that we have. 
others of. Maybe there's lustful thinking. Maybe, there's, maybe you're even acting on it. Maybe there's pornography or there's been you know, a, a relationship that's inappropriate or something like that. And, we're, we're resp- and God is disciplining you. He's trying to get your attention. He's saying, listen, you need to change this. I'm trying to grow you in this. I'm trying to, I'm trying to perfect you in this. But he uses discipline to bring us to that place that we would grow in that. Some of us is selfishness. Right? We think about ourselves too much. And so God brings us through some difficult circumstances to get us to the place that we're at the end of ourselves and we're thinking about ourselves less. Right? And we're putting others before ourselves. Like There could be any number of things that he's using, but what does it look like? It begins by admitting, yes, God, you are disciplining me and you're trying to teach me some things. That's not the most pleasant thing to receive from the Lord. We don't like to admit when we're wrong. Most of us, Fight that, like, to the end. But here's the thing I would encourage you. If you want to learn, like, kind of a master class in discipline, read the book of Proverbs. I've encouraged this or said this before, but let me say it again in case you haven't heard me say it. I think a great thing that everyone should do at some point is read the entire book of Proverbs. Actually, do it multiple times. But read the entire book of Proverbs in one sitting. It'll take you, I don't know, like an hour or so, depending on how fast you read. But look for a theme, So with this, read the book of Proverbs, but look for all the places, all the times that discipline is is identified. And what you'll see is it is always put in a positive light. It is always good. It is always beneficial. It is always necessary. And here's the thing. You and I, we don't like to admit that we are wrong or that we need this because we're about our own good. But can I tell you the truth of what Scripture says? Scripture says this. Look at this. Did you see it in verse 10? It says, they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But how does God discipline us? He disciplines us, what? For our good, that we may share his holiness. You wanna know a crazy truth of scripture? God is more about your good than you are. Like you think about how much you want good for you, God wants it even more. But here's the thing about his goodness that he knows. It's actually good. So many times we think that something's good for us or we think this is gonna be, this is the thing that I need or this is the thing that's gonna make it. This is the thing that's gonna fix everything. And then we get that thing and we're like, it didn't work. God's thing is actually good for us. God is more about your good than you are. Isn't that an encouraging truth? So when God disciplines you, when there's painful, it says it is painful, right? It seems painful rather than pleasant, but what does it produce? It says it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness. There is a bountiful like, harvest in your life. What is that harvest? It's a fruit of righteousness and peace. Listen, I don't know. You may not have this kind of joyful exuberance in the midst of this, but have you ever been in a place where it's so dark and so painful, yet you have the peace of the Lord? And you're like, I don't, I don't want to be here, but, but man, God's giving me everything I need to be here. That is what's produced in the discipline of the Lord. And God is using that to grow you and to train you. And he's maturing you, he's perfecting you. But some of you are still like on step one. You've never admitted that you need the discipline of the Lord. And so it might take years, it might take decades. He's kind of working on that same thing over and over and over again. He's still pressing in, still pressing in. And you have yet to receive, to be trained by the discipline. If you would yield to it, if you would allow him to work in your heart in that way, then that will bring about the change that he's looking. That's what that submission looks like, is to respond to the discipline that God has given us. So let me just encourage you with that. It's not easy. It's not fun to be disciplined by the Lord. 
but it's what a loving father does. You are his daughter, you are his son, and because you are, he's gonna discipline you in a way that's good for you. Let me give you the last one. It's gonna come, come quick. But it says this, our faith is perfected as we obey the loving commands of God. That's the third way our faith is perfected as we obey the loving commands of God. Man, there's so much more we could say about this, but let me read the text and just kind of make a few, um, a few comments about it. Verse 12 says this, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. He says, be strengthened. That's what he's saying there. Be strengthened. And make straight your paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Right? He's like, I'm not trying to bruise you or bang you up more. I'm trying to give you some direction so that you're healed. He says, strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it become, many become defiled, that there is no sexual immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, what he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected and he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Here's the thing is that we have here at the end of this passage, a list of commands that God has called us to. And what we have to see is that every time God says don't, what he's really saying is don't hurt yourself. And every time that God says do, what he's really saying is do this for your good. Like this is good things for us. And so there's a whole list of commands here. And just, I just wanna tell you that as we do the things that God has called us to, that that is the way that God perfects our faith in us. And I think obedience and following directions and like respecting authority has gotten kind of like, is like come on tough times, all right? Like that's not what, we don't love doing that. It's kind of like, you know, I'm gonna go my way or kind of do my thing and all that. But listen, part of following Jesus is doing the things that he's told us to do. And the best part about it is what you're gonna find is that actually brings about tremendous good in your life. It's really good for us to follow the ways of the Lord. And so how do we do that? What are some of the commands here? He says, be strengthened. That's a command. Don't be discouraged. He's like, be encouraged by these truths. Strengthen your weak knees. He's like, don't moan. Don't, don't like sulk. He's like, be encouraged by all this truth. He's like, I've written all these things here. Be encouraged by it. He says, make straight your paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but healed. He's like, as you seek the Lord, it says the Lord, the, the word of the Lord is a light to our feet, a lamp to our path that, that we can find a straight path as we seek the Lord. He's like, follow the straight path that God has given you. He says, strive for peace with everyone. Man, we could like, talk about that forever. Like, there's a lot of conflict, right? A lot of strife today. And this isn't just like striving for peace within the church. This is striving for peace with everyone. That's, that word means everyone. <laughs> and so it's like, it's all. I love the verse in Romans. It says, so much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. There might be some people in your life that you just cannot seem to like find peace with, but that might be on them. So much as it depends on you, you live at peace. You do everything you can. That's what he's saying. He's like, strive for peace with everyone. We are to be agents, be ambassadors of peace as part of God's family. He's like, for the holiness without no one will see the Lord. He said, see to it that no one fails to obtain that grace, take on the full grace of God. He's like, be careful about that root of bitterness, defiles the whole tree, defiles the whole plant, right? Defiles many. And then this bit about sexual immorality 
we're going to come back to this. There's another, um, there's another uh, passage coming up here in, in Hebrews, so we're not going to spend a ton of time, but here it's compared. Sexual morality is compared here to Esau selling his birthright. Do you know that story? Esau came in from the field famished. His brother was cooking a soup, and he's like, I want some of that soup. And he's like, I'll sell it to you for your birthright. Your birthright was like a double portion that you get as the oldest. And he's like, I don't care. I'm famished. I'll give you whatever you want. So he gave him his birthright. He got a bowl of soup in return. Then he realized later what he did. And like through tears, there was no chance to get it back. He had already given it away. And so in a fleeting moment, like that's what sexual morality, listen, the sexual ethics that the scripture teaches are completely at odds with the sexual ethics or lack thereof that our world exhibits. Right? Like anything is off, is on, on, on the table, right? Anything is like permissible. That's not what scripture says. And what it's saying is that when we don't follow that, we're exchanging the double portion that God has for us and following his will for a bowl of soup. It's fleeting, it's temporary, it's going to be over before you know it. He's saying, be careful. Be careful with these things. Listen, when we follow, when we obey the loving commands of God, our faith is perfected. Church, there's a lot that we just kind of looked at today. I just want to kind of land us here, and we're going to close our service by taking communion. We've got just a few minutes left in our service, and so I just want to direct our hearts toward this, that we would see. I think sometimes what we do is we walk through the painful, difficult circumstances. Much of what the Hebrews was experiencing was difficult and painful, Right? But as they walk through those circumstances, we need to be drawn back to the love of Christ. He is using and working. He never wastes a painful or, or difficult circumstance in our life. God's love says that he is using that to refine you and to grow you and to draw you closer to himself. If we can understand that, if we can believe that, you know, if we can chalk that up to the category of like promises that we are certain of, and that changes so many things about us. That's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite the team up. Um, we're going to respond with a song, but we're going to take communion. We're going to go to the, the Lord's table. This is a reminder of Christ's love for us.